Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio, and it's March 9, 2023. And a big happy birthday to my son, Ben, today. Okay, and uh, nice to be here with you. I'm Larry Jacobs. we got a good show for you today with my good friend, Jay Littman. Jay is the uh, school architect. He owns Littman Architecture Educational Consulting Group. He's a school reformer, but he does it through architecture and learning space design. Okay, we're going to have a great conversation with Jay today about what he calls fourth-generation schools. And we'll learn a little bit about his background and all we're doing and about what he's calling a new programming DNA for that fourth-generation school. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And, again, Jay is uh, available to you. Well, he's at the, I'll get, let him give you his email, but it's Littman Architecture Education Consulting Group in Rhode Island. We're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org, everything we do over there at ace-ed.org, which is the home website of our American Consortium for Equity and Education, is free for educators to go over and subscribe to our magazine, Equity and Access. Uh, Look at all the websites we do and all the information we give about equity in education pre-K-12. All right, ace-ed.org. Without further ado, the one, the only, my good friend, Jay Littman. Hi, Jay. Hi, Larry. How are you? I'm fine. Was that introduction good? I don't have a fanfare for you. Boy, I know. I, it, it, I'm, I'm impressed. I didn't know I had all that under me. I turned down. John Lennon wanted to be on the show today, but I turned it down because you wanted to be on the show too. So, I'm doubly impressed. There you go. Okay. All right. Yeah. Talk to me, my friend. Well, you've been with Fielding International for a long time. You just split off to start Lakeman Architecture Educational Consulting Group. Talk about that. What are you planning to do with your company? And how do you want schools to get well, involved with you? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I've been working with Prakash Nair and Randy Fielding for, you know, 15 to 18 years uh, uh, that's currently called Fielding International. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, 18 years. 17, 18 years is a long time. And in that time, uh, you know, what attracted me originally was the whole notion that schools as they are in, existing in the world now are, haven't changed. They're basically designed in the first industrial revolution and yep. maybe into the second. <laughs> we'll and it, it kind of stopped. Yeah, except for technology, yeah. it's been the same thing, which is, you know, the teacher uh, is, is the instructor and the students are the vessels that get filled or the, or the kids who listen and take <laughs> their tests. And, and that's called hierarchical learning, where there's a teacher at the top of the pyramid and at the bottom of the pyramid is all the students and there's nothing in between. And, uh, you know, we're in a networked world now, and, as, and I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute if you want, but we are in the well, fourth industrial revolution. It's already started. And uh, I don't know for, the, for everyone listening if they understand, and I don't know if you want me to, Explain what the other revolutions were. Um, well, just just give a that? brief preface what you talk. Yeah, just spit into it for yeah. you know, just quickly do that. Sure. And talk about this fourth revolution that you're talking about, fourth generation. Yeah, good. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really quickly the first industrial revolution, 1780 to 1840. That's the development of water-powered mills, towns, the rise of the factories, and the kind of like systematic. Um, uh, bringing in the people from the countryside and forming bigger and bigger cities and villages around these giant mills. So they went from the mills in the first industrial revolution really into factories uh, in the second industrial revolution, which was also known as the technological revolution, which was 
like 1870, so right after the Civil War to right at the start of World War One, and really, the, you know, Horace Mann started the system of we have people coming into factories that can't read, they can't write, they can't read signs, they can't take directions, and and they and they have no system other than the farm system and the factory system is orderly. Everyone's in a straight line. Everybody obeys. They listen to the foreman. And the model of schools was built on that, on this kind of like, you know, command system. Uh, and he, you know, Horace Mann took lessons from the uh, Prussian military. Yeah. Uh, and even, yeah. and you know, the thing that a lot of people don't even know that Maria Montessori, that we say today is kind of like the free love of everyone yeah. is kind of doing their own thing in school. <laughs> yeah, it started, yeah. it started as this, on keeping kids on a single task until they mastered it, which is how you master assemblage tasks in a factory. Everything was focused on the factory and people forgot about that. But the core of a school design is it went even through the third industrial revolution, which we know as baby boomers is the tech is the digital revolution which came from about early 1950s through probably it's kind of the peaked out at the, in the end of the 1990s. And uh, we've been building schools from, you know, the fifties onward. And most of our schools are in that stock. They're 60 to 70 years old now. We're based on the, the box that is the self-contained school with the teacher at the front as the instructor, the kids are in that room all day long. And even if you're in a math class in high school, you're still in a room with the teacher at the front. There's no way to get out of the box. And, of course, you organize boxes around hallways, and all these super concentrations of kids have to get out of those hallways, down stairways, and out of the building. Every school built, if you think about it, and this is what we call the, 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 you know, the sort of morphology of a school, the shape that's based on that idea, they're all like long box cars connected with little knuckles to get you in and out and circulate. It's all about circulation. And even the teachers that put the kids into, you know, if you remember, you have your desk on the floor. They put a little marker around the front leg of the desk. Everyone's desk in the morning. You had to align it in front. Everyone's in a line. And it's been shown through many, many different school districts around the country that that was codified by the 1920s as a very efficient graphic way to see who's in class and who is not. It has nothing to do with education. It has everything to do with you look at your grid, you got a name in every grid, you see where the hole is in the grid, you know who's not there. That's what it's about. That's what it's really about. So we're nothing – schools are based on efficiency, basically, over effectiveness. You know, it's not about what you're learning and the quality of what you're learning and how you're learning it. It's about are you present and is a teacher sitting there doing their job. Forget about everything else. And, yes, teachers are – better than that and they work against the system and we've created things in our schools now like blended learning teachers are bringing in their own furniture you go out in the hallways and there's mm. desks and chairs wow. and little groupings but you can't do it in the room but we still build i'm banging my fist right now as i'm talking you still build <laughs> the exact same way don't let your blood pressure go up yeah oh no no i mean i, I mentioned yeah. in an article that just appeared in uh, education reimagined uh, and I'll send you a copy today if you want to kind of cross-post it to this. But, I mean, there's a wonderful new school built in Rhode Island in East Providence, a $190 million uh, high school. It's got every bell and whistle you can think of, and that's what it's about, bells and whistles. It's about the same hierarchical learning. They spend all this money, and our schools – it's a beautiful school architecturally, 
uh, instead of a hallway, it's almost like a mall concourse now. But the teachers are still in boxes. Everyone is still doing the same thing. And, in fact, I heard the other day that, you know, and they still put lockers on the walls. Without thinking, kids don't use lockers anymore. And I've heard that kids, all the lockers are empty in that school because kids What are kids doing? What are school. kids doing? It's, Actually, that, I didn't know that. What are kids – that's first I've heard that one. What are kids doing with their coat and stuff, or do they just wear it all day? They wear it. Very few kids use lockers anymore. We don't really? have. We haven't had lockers in our schools for years now. I mean, actually, a lot of the schools in Europe, they actually have a coat check, and and you go into the school like the ones that I did in uh, in uh, in Tartarstan in the city of Kazan yeah. on two international school campuses. There, you go in the school, and you either have a wardrobe room, you hang up your stuff, you take your street shoes off, you put your school shoes on. Wow. Because, of course, you don't want mud and ice and dirt and everything. It's very nice. It's very, it's, it's, it's very humane. Um, you know, the, the problem is in American schools, we don't. And so what they do is they walk around the school in their shoes. They keep their coats with them. They stuff them in their backpacks. They wrap them around their waists. And, be, and the reason is because, because the school is not based on a learning community. It's based on a room. You could have, a, you could have your math room and one end of the school and have to walk a quarter mile to get to the other end of the school because there's over 2,000 students in the school. And so it's like you would never be able to get back and forth to your class as the bells ring, you know, as the bell tolls. Remember so those days. I'm just saying, I'm just saying you know, my, my community in Barrington, Rhode Island, put up a middle school, and even though they're trying really hard to break through the core DNA, and that's why I call it the DNA because, you know, you can't shake DNA. The DNA is still based on the on the idea that there's a teacher in a classroom, and the, and they own the classroom. And the students go into the teacher's space, not their space, the teacher's space. So if you, you just say, okay, yeah, stop all that, that for, oh yeah, but it's true. I mean, if if you want the kid to be feel like they own some of their education, you walk into the teacher's classroom. Like we did this in in um, in Boulder, Colorado, at Centaurus High School back in 2015 and 16, where we you know tried to create a new model for them to renovate their school. And you walk into a classroom, and, you know, I thought it was cool when I was a kid. You know, my teacher loved science in sixth grade, so they had lots of science stuff up, and they had, like, you know, fetuses of different animals and jars, and they had all kinds of <laughs> charts on the wall. In, in Boulder, I remember specifically as a teacher, loved guitars, he loved Jimi Hendrix. The room was an homage to Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, ah, I love Jimi great. Hendrix, so it's great, but, I mean, you're not yeah. in your room. You're in your that point, teacher's room. Your, your point world. is well taken. We're always talking about student voice and everything, but you walk into the yeah. teacher's room. That's a that's a very interesting point. The other point that about like a lot of the things you said, but the 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 other point that I liked, you know, schools were developed to create people to go to work. Okay, and so the factory that's system it. you mentioned and all that, etc. And if you go into a company, I'll just use Google or something as an example. There's not even offices, there's not cubicles anymore. People are just sitting at tables wherever they want. They're schlepping around and all that sort of thing. Point being, the workplace has changed. And point being, now it's even more so because since the pandemic, it's been remote, which means it's literally your space, okay? And most companies That's are right. struggling with bringing people back to work, okay? But the, my point of that is that schools have to reflect that. Okay, they, mm -hmm. they're training people to go into the big world as adults. We call it being a college and career ready, certainly career ready. Mm -hmm. Okay, but if we yes. don't reflect the real world in the school, 
and the, the, the world that these kids are going into, okay, that creates a problem, okay? And I might add for colleges as well, okay? And although we're talking K-12 here, my point is what you're saying is accurate. We have to look at this. And one of the things I have to say is that, you know, Jay is trained as an architect. But he works on school. So he, when he – and, and Jay, talk about this for a second. You, I mean, you really know about education. You're not, you're not just talking about the structural aspect of a school. You're talking about – and I, this is very key – the learning aspect of the environment the kids are in. Okay, and and, and, right. and that has to do with you understanding right, the, the pedagogy behind it and how something's going to be taught and how it all works. It's a very interesting. A lot of people don't understand this. The the positioning of a school architect has to understand, okay, what's going to go in in school. Just like somebody designing a hospital has to understand medical needs before they design the hospital. It's not just bricks and mortar. All right, and you can go on that rant if you want, okay? But the point is you want to change the DNA. Let me get back to your thing. You want to change the DNA, but teachers are still trained the same way. So how do you, how, how do you change the DNA as you, as, you, as you talk to people about redesigning their school, their learning experience? Well, I think, that way. right, that's a, good, that's a great question, and that's what makes the new model school succeed or fail because, you know, as I've said for many years, people are sick of hearing me saying. I always use the, uh, you know, the the whole metaphor of, you know, that the the Pony Express gets helicopters, uh, and they, they bring in the helicopters, they land them. Everyone knows how to ride a horse. No one knows what a helicopter is, but they, but the well-meaning people go, you can fly across the valley now. You don't have to like wait three days. You can fly in 25 minutes, and they come back three weeks later, and it's a failure because they're sitting there with their horses tied up to the helicopters trying to drag it. <laughs> and you go, no, 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 no. It's a miracle of human flight. And you explain Bernoulli's principle and engineering and how to run an engine and, you know, navigation. And that's our problem. We give teachers these incredible spaces. And I know one well-meeting group just did it to another school up in Rhode Island, a middle school. It wasn't us. It wasn't me. And they, did, they made a beautiful space out of it. And they tried to make it look like one of our schools. And it failed because the teachers have no training. They don't, it's just the Pony Express it's helicopters. And so what we found over the years is, you know, we were doing these really beautiful schools all around the world. Yes. And there was always a really big period of time. If you had a really good head of school that really understood what they needed to do uh, with the teachers ahead of time. So as a good example, and again, this is I'm going to be talking all about this at the A4LE Northeast Regional Conference in Philly uh, on April 29th. Um, you know, when we talk about this new DNA mm-hmm. and about fourth-generation schools and what it all means, uh, you know, you, you, we realize that without the training, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And the reason is that the teachers have no experience in sharing spaces. They have no experience in, right. you know, kind of shifting a little bit. You don't give up instruction, obviously. You need instruction. But you also have to balance that with something called mentoring, because if you want the students to have agency and feel like they have ownership in the space, there's two big radical things that happen in a, in a learning community. And I should just say for a second, you know, learning community is, and, and we're doing this at Garden City in Cranston, Rhode Island. We're building a new 86,000 square foot. And this is me still as architect of record. I'm still, I still have a relationship with Building International while these of projects course. get completed. 
because I'm the stamping architect and, and the head of the design team for this, but it's and, – and, and we do these schools, actually, all over the United States. We try to and all over the world. Oh, yeah. Cranston's an important project because everyone in the administration there that's, you know, the, the head of uh, capital projects and all, they're building on what we did. As you remember, we've talked about Guard, uh, uh, Eden Park, which right. is now being expanded for the whole school as well. But this is a brand-new clean sheet school where you close your eyes and you say, there is no Horace Mann school. It's a learning community. So there's five learning communities in a school holding 575 students. And those communities are, you know, they're, they're mixed age, you know, starting lower teams to upper teams. Um, the teachers, and, and there's a collection of smaller learning studios. You don't need a 900 or an 850 square foot classroom because the teacher's not in the room all day anymore and doing everything. You, so if you don't have corridors and the rooms that go down to 650 square feet or 700 square feet, or, you know, in some schools we can pull it down to 550 square feet, uh, they become the spaces where instruction can happen, but there are no line, lining up of desks in those rooms. They're, the rooms are rich technologically. They have full wall screens. Uh, they have really great sound and acoustics. They have telecoil loops in the floor for kids that are hearing impaired. And remember, now we're talking about equity oh, nice. in education. Yeah. Our schools yeah, absolutely. don't talk about that. And we do, and you know why, because I've got a hearing impaired child in my family that I, we've and that's how I got into this. But so, so the, well, there's a huge paradigm shift when you do that because all of the extra space, you would call it, is not extra space. It's valuable space. It becomes the learning commons that all these rooms, which include small group rooms, some seminar spaces, maybe some resource rooms, and then you, you, they're surrounded by this learning commons. The learning commons has areas for group research, presentation, private reflection, uh, and, and what happens there is that the teachers, um, and, and this has very similar to Kunskapskolan, the charter school group in, Swift, in Sweden, uh, they, they do it too. So we know we're not alone, and it's done all over the world too, uh, but it's in little tiny bonfires all over the world. It's not really caught mm -hmm. on yet, but it's growing rapidly. And so why Cranston is important is because it's a typical American, you know, small city, System, you know, it's got 22 to 24 public schools, you know, middle schools, high schools, and elementary schools. Nothing, you know, they're not sitting on top of like a huge research center or something. It's a regular American city system, and they're building completely new, one-of-a-kind, clean-sheet school. The lessons learned are built on from our other schools, and especially in this community from Eden Park. The teachers, this is going to blow some people's minds, the teachers do not own a classroom. The group of teachers that are in the learning community of that particular group, and like at Eden Park, it's a three, four, third, fourth, and fifth grade. Uh, at Garden City, there's a pre-K and a K, and then a first and second, and a second and a third, a third and a fourth, fourth and a fifth, because we find multi-age works better as well, you know, when they work together in teams when they get out of the small rooms. The teachers don't own the classroom. They own the five or six learning studios and all the other facilities that are there, and they have their own um, workroom, not a desk in the classroom. They may have a, you know, a podium or a place they can put their things that they can move from room to room, but they can be in, like, Studio B on Tuesday, and that same teacher might be on Studio, you know, D 
on Thursday mm-hmm. and Friday, and back on Monday it'll be in B. And why? It's because there's certain features in every room, and they all decide as a team. So what they're doing now is they're collaborating on the education of the space. And that means that they are now learning the skills that the students have to observe. If you tell your students it's the 21st century, you have to learn how to collaborate, <laughs> and all your teachers are in their rooms, so what does that mean? It's nothing. So, and, and, in fact, it was so successful at Eden Park that the other side of Eden Park is about to start construction. And the teachers at a review that we had, you know, it was like, you know, we'll say that there's six, six classrooms in that wing, all right? I think there's eight classrooms in that wing. But they said, we don't want eight, we don't want eight learning studios. We want seven and take the, the extra classroom and make that a bigger learning common. And we said, really, you really want to do that? And they said, yes, because we don't want new teachers coming in to think they own a classroom. They, we want them to be able to move around. So one of those classes will always take place in each, you know, planning period during the day in the commons only, and then maybe in some of the small group rooms. And any teacher you ask over at Eden Park, would you go back to the old system? Every answer for every teacher, and I'm no. not kidding about this, says, I will I quit. I will resign from teaching. I never want to go back to that. It's like, would you want to crank the car up in the morning? Would you rather push a button to make the car start? Nobody wants to use the crank, and nobody <laughs> wants to do answer. this. So, so, so going back to Garden City, the whole school is based on this new model, which means the shape of the school is different. The layout on the site is different. For architects who might start freaking out and their head catches fire <laughs> that, you know, that they can't use the model we've all used through all of our adult lives designing schools, you have an, a design opportunity now to do something that you've never had to do before, which is actually design the, the school for the child and design the school for the teacher, the teachers that are teaching now are the millennials. They're not the people who grew up in 1940 or 50 or 60. These are the the kids who grew up in the 1990s. I mean, my oldest is 37. That's like the average age of an American teacher in a school. And I have plenty of nieces who teach. Uh, And actually, I now have a nephew who teaches English in high school. That's the generation of teachers. They don't want to be in an old-fashioned building anymore either. So, we just see this as we're at the cusp period. And, you know, by the way, when we said the Fourth Industrial Revolution, if any of your listeners watch, you know, read like MIT Technology Review or watch, you know, CNN or BBC Technology, the stuff that's going on in the industry now is, is mind-shattering it because is. AI, AI is like roughing up the entire graphic design and illustration industry. One of my sons is an illustrator. He's talking with his friends every single day about this, and there's, like, issues with, you know, intellectual property and where they're pulling the information from, but also it's changing advertising overnight as much so, as uh, Photoshop did in the 90s. So th- so let me ask you this, and this is key. So when you – and you're, you're president of your company now, okay? You own your Littman mm-hmm. Architecture, okay? All right, so you're going to yeah. go in. And you were going to talk to a school board, a, a superintendent, whatever, I assume, okay? And mm-hmm. when you talk to them about this, okay, how, how do you start with that? Because that's really key. I mean, you're asking them to, to really think very, very differently about the way things are, okay? And what's the what, – I don't know how to phrase the question, but really, what's the best place to start in, 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 as an architect – to explain to people that there's a this is a real sea change out there, 
It, 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 it ain't your daddy's Oldsmobile anymore, to put a, to show my age there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, like, I, I can say it like this. They are far and few between to have a, a, the head of a, uh, you know, capital projects uh, department in a big school department or a superintendent or sometimes it's a group of teachers. Uh, and uh, they know change is really hard. To come by. So what has happened is always years, hard. It's always hard, and and so I mean, Ed Collins and in, in, uh, in Cranston has said many times, you know, that we struggle to get the school built because there's so many new things we've never done before, and you got to hand it to them. He wants to do it, and he sticks by it, and he just says these are hard projects. If they were easy, everybody would do them, and they're not. <laughs> they're very hard. And but but every time you have a win you have a new example. So, for instance, in, in Rhode Island here, and I'll use it just because it's, it's a great laboratory since it's such a small state, change can happen on a dime here when it does happen. Uh, we have Eden Park, the one and only school project in the entire state, so only 12,000 square feet because it was, you know, an experimental Pathfinder project. Uh, and uh, they get visitors all the time. And then, fortunately, most of them don't take away what they need to take away. They see the colors. Well, that was actually going to be lighting. my question. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. What are the questions when, when, when other people come and visit? Okay. What, what are the questions you hear from those people as they look at Eden Park? They must go, well, this is well, different. Does this actually work? What are the questions that you hear? Uh, well, if they're an educator, first yeah, thing they want to know that's what is, I'm thinking of. Yeah. What did you do? What, what did you do to the kids? Because they seem to be completely riveted on all the tasks that they're doing. And we say, well, they're their tasks. And then they go, what do you mean? And you start to explain it, and you see the light go on. The director of education for Rhode Island, uh, Angelica, um, no, gosh, now I'm going to not remember her whole, her That's whole okay. name. But, um, yeah, anyway, so um, she, okay. came, she came to, she came to uh, Eden Park about a year ago. She finally got there. She's very busy. There's lots of other big issues in Rhode Island as well. There's in most school districts, but the, she finally – had her team bring her there, and she immediately noticed that there were kids in multiple grades in this learning community, and that surprised her. And then she started talking to some of them and realized that they had a way of talking to adults that she has not seen in schools before, and they even asked her to help them with projects. And then she saw all the teachers were running around outside of their rooms talking to teams of students because, you know, I've mentioned this before, the other thing that educators notice is that if you're in a room with 30, with 25 students, it's a one in 25 ratio, and unions, you know, dictate you, you can't go above certain ones. They have strikes over this. It's a 21 students, it's a 23 students. When you're in a learning community, you may have your whole team, your whole group, and that again dictated by unions. It could be anywhere from 20 to 25 usually. Sometimes it's more, but not. But once you give the students, you know, you wind them up, you get them going for what they need to do for that day whatever teams they have, whether they're singles or they're working in groups of three and four, and they go out into the learning commons. Some stay in the classroom. Some go out in the learning commons because of, you know, just distribution or small group rooms. The teachers then leave the rooms because everything is, you know, transparent. You can see where everyone is most of the time. And they start working with three students, five students, two students, one student. You have a student-teacher ratio now in a public school that's better than a private school. I mean, where are you going to get a one-on-one relationship or even have the opportunity to do that? 
you, you couldn't, or you'd stigmatize a student. Here you're going from group to group or student to five students to three students. So she saw that, and she looked around, mm-hmm. and she said, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. I've never seen this work before. And, again, we go back to the bigger question you asked well, me is how do you train the teachers? Well, right? I know, but i, I got to say something, okay? And this is key, and this is something we've always talked about. If you build a good – and think of your house, everybody. If you build a good environment, knowing education as the background, you're going to have a much better thing at the end, okay? It, it, it's, it's, it's just so obvious, Okay, the more comfortable the kids are in this world we live in today, the better off they're going to be. And by the way, Jay, it's uh, Angelica Infante Green. That's okay. it. I knew Green was the state commissioner. Day. I just looked it Sorry up. But I actually have had her on the show. She's very nice. She's very yeah, nice. Yeah, she's great. And, and yeah. she got it and instantly. The minute she saw it, and I was going to say, smart lady. There's two compound questions: is how do you get other? How do you get other? school districts to buy into this? And the question is, the, the <laughs> answer is, we, well, the answer is complex because you can't get someone and sell it. They have to see it. And the one, and so the way, good you know, point. Me, me and my partners at, at, you know, FI have done over the years is we, we Living lecture a lot. We speak a lot. We write a lot and we try to publish a lot. And in the end, if you don't go to the school and see it, you don't get it. And you have to be an educator to get it. School committees go to the school and they see beautiful colors, nice lighting. They might see better sound than they've heard. And they go, well, we've got to put better sound in. We have to get, I love the cream color and the orange. Let's make our school look like that, you know, if that was the scheme in that particular school, whatever it is. And it's like, no, that's not it. And, you know, the, the, the director of facilities in Cranston sees these groups come through. We had Providence come through not long ago. Uh, and, and he said, you know, this doesn't work unless you change the teachers. And they didn't understand what he meant. Well, wow. it, it is. We've, right. We discovered that we don't have a, a, a dedicated team of educators that understand how these schools work and, and know the, the, the tasks that they have to train the teachers in it won't work. So, for instance, at Garden City, the teacher, you know, we had to, we demolished the whole school on the site. Cranston is a built-out city. You can't, like, ship people around. We had to go to a, a school they had mothballed, put the students in there for 18 months while we build the new school. Well, in those 18 months, right, in those 18 months, the teachers are being intensively trained by, you know, fielding international team of educators. And, and, and you know, because you've had, you know, one of my colleagues, Jill Akers, on many times. Sure. Jill, uh, you know, when, when she was with us before she left to go to VS, as their, like, international educator, um, she worked intensively at all the schools I was working on and some of the other studios as well. And, you know, when we build a team of educators, and obviously in my, my new practice, I am now interviewing educators because I know that if you have a consulting group that has educators, if you don't have the change management portion of it down, which is educators that know the tasks they need to do to teach these teachers, it doesn't work. So, so how do you tra- how do you convince these these school districts? We over the years, and and it's already happened with me, even my new practice. They call you and they say, "We saw what you did at so and so, and we want that to happen here. Can you explain what that's yeah. about?" And when you do, they say, "That's what we want to do." I mean, another good example of a client that um, 
and, and these are like the bonfires that are sitting in the woods, right? There's yeah. Cranston is here. <laughs> I've worked for years with Chappaqua School District, you know, in Westchester County in New York. And, you know, we recently, about a year and a half or two ago, we completed like a large-scale renovation, building a new steam addition to their high school, reshaping 40,000 square feet of their high school into four learning communities, making changes to all their elementary schools and all their middle schools. And when, when I send you this link to this article, you'll see some Chappaqua pictures in it, as well as Eden Park. But uh, to show that at the high school level, it works as well as it works in the elementary school. It's not age-specific. You get more sophisticated spaces, obviously, when you have students that are a little more mature, they can go longer distances, they're more independent, and especially they're more independent if they started in a school like Eden Park and they've worked their way through the system. Um, so in, uh, and, and, in, um, in, in Chappaqua, we have a little bit of a difference because we actually – it's a big enough school district and in, 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 in terms of all the expertise they have where they actually have a, an assistant superintendent there who has been training the teachers. And, uh, really? and, and it works. It works on the, on the, that school should work on the day that you move in. If you have not trained the teachers for the entire time of construction, it will not work. And we tell them from the start, don't bother. Don't do it. Do whatever you're used to, but if you want to make change, it's not architecture. It's a very sophisticated educational change management system. And here's, here's the last piece of that puzzle. Yeah, we've got about, you know, we got about the the three minutes left, buddy. Well, I'm just going to use the word. My good friend. what the word is, that, is, is educational specifications. And most school, most school district educational specifications are based on how many square foot per student, and that's how you get how big the, all the spaces yeah. are. And yeah. over the years, we've changed that, and especially in Cranston's master plan, we changed it so they're based on learning patterns, and they're based on qualities of spaces. So you don't say a classroom is this big. You say it's a learning community model. It's a learning studio, and these are the things that happen. And you basically, you have to like rewrite the entire narrative of how all the parts and pieces work together. It's like, you know, the schematic on an internal combustion engine is one thing, the schematics on an electric engine in a wheelbase for a Tesla is something very different. So we've built the new Tesla of schools, and, and <laughs> that means you have to rebuild the schematic on how it works. That's your ed spec. It makes it more fun, too. Um, and we, we can go on for hours, or they can just listen to all your other podcasts, and they'll learn, too, right? They will indeed. Uh, we're going to do more together. And by the way, before I forget, if you want to do some articles for us for our magazine about learning spaces and equity, you know you're always invited. Okay, I got some right on the uh, burner here. Were you come to us, sure. my friend? Come to us, Jay. That's great having you on, my buddy, old buddy. Okay, we'll do it's more together. It's always a pleasure, Larry. Okay, hey, is, hey, you truly. know. I'm, the last, the last plug is I'm, I'm speaking in Philly. You're from Philly. You should come down I, to Philly at the I, end of April. I, I, you know, I saw that. Where was the meeting, by the way? It's going to be at the, um, you know, the Westin down on 17th and Market, or 17th and, and going, Chestnut. And actually, you bring up a good point. Just before we go, who's going to be there? Is it going to be architects, uh, school designers? Is it going to be uh, superintendents? Well, yeah. Well, it's a yes to everything. It's, it's yeah. the Association for Learning Environments, as you know, yeah. and everyone yeah. comes, facility people, educators, architects, writers, technologists, 
everyone's going to be there. And it's a Northeast Regional Conference, but Northeast is a very big place. So it's uh, going to be a fairly big, uh, you know. And then, and then this year's International National Conference will be in Chicago. Uh, Ooh, I forget when? if it's in September or October. So um, it's, it's great to go. And so, uh, yeah, but if you, you want to you hear someone talk with a Philadelphia accent, come on down. <laughs> we got to, all I got to do is play my show back. That's us, Jason Philly, too. That's it. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is great, man. Okay, we'll be in touch. But please, uh, the articles. That's a that's a sincere invite. Okay. All right. I'll talk okay. to you later. I'll I give promise. you a sincere article. Thanks, Thanks, pal. Take it easy. You Bye, too. Everybody. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Jay Littman, everybody, and I want to give you. I meant to ask him. Darn it. Okay. Hold on a second. Well, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I have to put a way to get in touch with Jay, okay? And I forgot to do that, so I'm going to make sure I get that up there. All right, we'll archive at ace-ed.org, see everything we do. Over there, it's all free for educators. Thank you, Jay Littman. I'm Larry Jacobs, Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thanks for listening.